thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Jennifer Fisher, who founded her popular fine and brass namesake jewelry line in 2006. Since, she's grown her company to lifestyle brand status, and she began rolling out owned stores during the pandemic. I wanted to ask Jennifer about the unique growth the brand has seen in the last two and a half years and about her plans from here. What new categories are next? Welcome, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Are you, am I right? Like you are growing, growing, booming, booming. I mean. I mean, as I said to you before, it's time to step on the gas, so to speak. Yeah. My kids Why are grown. is now? Go My, ahead. Well, I've got a son who's a senior in high school. I've got a daughter who's a sophomore. And quite frankly, they don't need me like they used to. And <laughs> I, you know, I wanted to be around to really mother my kids and to be there while they grew up. And I really just feel like now is the time they, you know, I'm home to cook dinner as much as I can, but I still am noticing even those nights that I'm home to cook dinner, they're out. <laughs> oh my gosh. Talk a little bit more. I think a lot of our readers are entrepreneurs and, um, yes, just, just moms in the working world to, to launch a business, um, I mean, how are you balancing it all from there? Like you said, you went to work, you got home at maybe earlier than you would have liked, maybe you would have kept going. How did you balance it? You know, it's hard. Every day is a different struggle. You know, when you are an entrepreneur and you are a mother, you've got two full-time jobs and two full-time responsibilities. You know, so I just, I try to take every day, you know, every day is a new day. And if you don't do it perfect the, the day before, you can have a, you have a chance the next day to do it better. You know, I... You know, I, 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 the kids know that I love to work. They know that I love them. They know that I am trying to balance it all. And they're old enough now that they really, you know, they've appreciated that I was around when they were younger and they'll remember that forever. Um, but now it's time. And I think we're all really excited to see where we're going to go next. Yes. I mean, global ambitions. What's the, the broad, huge goal? Absolutely. Global ambitions. You know, we started, we opened our first West Coast store and, uh, you know, we built it out and opened it at the very end of COVID. I went through the entire building process, not even seeing the store once. Uh, yeah, crazy. And our business grew during COVID. You know, it was one of those things that uh, suddenly everybody was fit into this little screen that we're looking at each other on right now. And everybody wanted hoop earrings and charm necklaces to wear while they were on their work calls during the pandemic. Uh, so it was a blessing in disguise. And I also launched my CB2 lifestyle collab literally right before the world shut down on February 27th, 28th, uh, right, right before COVID started. You know, we were on our tour doing the press tour for that, you know, 108 piece of furniture and lifestyle home collection that I was doing. And little did I know that everyone would be stuck in their homes for the next year wanting to rebuild their spaces that they're living in. So we were fortunate. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> uh, you know, it was sort of one of those things like, oh my God, we were like, what is happening? And they were like, oh my God, this is incredible. So <laughs> were you planning to open a store? This was the, the first, first store was in LA. Um, what were you even talking about it until you saw that pandemic growth or, um, yeah, what was the process to getting there? No, no, no. We were, we had, we had met plans long ago to open in, in, in Beverly Hills. You know, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California. My husband, Kevin, who is my partner in the business, grew up in Los Angeles. We always knew that we wanted to open a West Coast store first. We actually do ha did have a showroom store in New York City on a second floor that was like a private atelier for years that originally was just for editors to come and see jewelry and then people were asking to shop. And so it turned into a store. It was sort of a secret store. Uh, so we knew, given the uh, popularity of that, that we really needed to start opening some more retail doors. So we opened up Beverly Hills in February of 2021. And we just opened up uh, Soho, New York City on West Broadway uh, in the heart of Soho three months ago. Oh my gosh, congrats. So 
I don't know, maybe more so for the LA uh, store because it was, again, in the heart of the pandemic. But um, were there deals to be had? Were you able to, I don't know, take more control in terms of the lease that that you signed there? You know, we were fortunate in our lease in Los Angeles, for sure, uh, definitely. And we thought that we were fortunate in our lease in New York City. And then things really started to change um, as we were starting to come out of the pandemic. Um, you know, real estate is not where it was a year ago. So we are now um, looking for other retail locations. So it's interesting to see what's happening with the market, uh, with retail right now. Um, we're in a very different position than we were two years ago and then a year ago. So yes. So what did you learn about the first from the first store that you really um, maybe that played into your second store? Um, maybe you saw the value of a large city. Uh, maybe it, it impacted your your setup and, and the play there. Well, we know for sure now, based off of our data, that we are a coastal brand. You know, we uh, definitely are coast. So you know, our our next plan is you know to go possibly Miami. Uh, Houston or Dallas, you know, we sort of are just following our data from our customers uh, more so than just really what I learned in the build out uh, of the stores. You know, we really realized that we don't need a large retail footprint, which is really great. We just need a jewel box space. Our New York store is larger than our Los Angeles store, uh, but we really don't need anything larger than what we have in LA. You know, we're calling New York City as our flagship, so it is slightly larger um, uh, specifically on purpose. So uh, our next store that we open and the other two will probably be closer in size of our, to our Beverly Hills store. It's just okay. like jewel box spaces for people to touch and feel the jewelry. We really noticed that once they see it and they are able to hold it and understand the weight of the gold itself, and then also the lightweight feeling of the hoops, they're more comfortable to then go online and purchase after that. Yeah. What was happening prior? Was it just um, via your direct-to-consumer channel? Are you also through um, any wholesale channels? So when I started the brand, I studied business marketing at USC and I fell into jewelry design. And I knew that when I when I started this brand that I didn't want to rely on wholesale. Uh, I started this company out of my bedroom, selling direct to consumer, f- customizable, fine jewelry. And that really was my intention for the brand was to stay true to that. I, uh, you know, we, we ended up selling at Barney's just because Barney's came to us when we, it was like around the recession, we started making the brass jewelry and it was really fashion jewelry and they were the perfect partner for us at the time. But we really never had a large scale wholesale business uh, intentionally. That is now changing. We just launched with Saks uh, in eight stores. Yeah, so it's exciting. You know, we, we still love our DTC model, but I think for the growth of us, it's important for us to be in other cities so people can touch and feel the jewelry. We've really just noticed with the opening of those two stores how important it is for people to actually see it. Yes. Did the the new like privacy laws and the digital marketing, did that really impact that decision? You know, that had something to do with it. You know, things have changed a lot in the last couple of years in regards to that uh, with online. Um, But we really are just trying to listen to our customers and what they're asking for. You know, more and more people as we grow and people learn our name and learn about the brand. It's really I do. I run all of our social media for the account on jewelry and I talk to everybody all day long on here. And so I really try to listen to my customers. Our business has changed a lot when, you know, I started listening to really what they're asking for and what they want instead of what I thought people wanted. And, you know, I always thought that I had to be this fancy jewelry brand that, you know, um, met certain expectations. But then I, I realized, you know, really during COVID that, you know, I really I'm just going to be myself. And, you know, hopefully people you know respond to that. And they have. Yes. Well, obviously, if you're responding to their demand, they want to see you. I see your face on the Instagram. Um, Has that always been the case? Have you always been out there? No. You know, I we originally were hiring models for the website. Um, 
that was really when we sort of made a big shift is showing myself more and listening to people that, you know, people really wanted to see. They didn't want to see a 20-year-old model on my website. They wanted to see something that felt a little more authentic to them and to who the brand really was. And so that's when I started doing the website myself and being the model on the website. Um, I think that's resonated with people. And I think also, um, it's just like a side note, but I have, I have Jennifer Fisher Kitchen, which is my uh, kitchen and food account because we do make salts. We make three different blended salts. And I cook on Instagram every night for my family. And I kind of show everybody like, I'm not a fancy chef. I don't, you know, know what I'm doing here, but I'm just cooking for my family and trying to make healthy meals for us. And that has really helped the brand as well. I think people just kind of getting to know me as a person. And it's like, I don't live in this ivory castle. Like I'm walking my dog, I'm doing my dishes, I'm cooking for my kids. Like I'm not some fancy designer that doesn't, you know, show up anywhere. And it's sort of this like mythical figure. Like I'm, I'm Jennifer Fisher. I'm just like you guys. Yeah, that's so interesting too. Again, you were ahead of the times. Um, I know during the pandemic, like I follow Neely Lotan, Lotan, and she and she was cooking a lot during the pandemic, and I was like, she, was. she should do something there. But you were doing this prior. Like, did you even think that salts like that played into your brand? Like, what made you decide to go there? Was it again demand from your your follower? It was honestly one of those things that just, you know, at the time I was an early adapter to Instagram and I was one of those people that put my avocado egg toast up on Instagram on my fashion account. Like who does that? But I did it one day and honestly, the, the, what people, the response for that was, was wild. You know, everybody was like, oh my gosh, first of all, how do you know how to poach an egg? Can you teach me how to poach an egg? And then it was, well, what is that seasoning that you have on there? on that toast. And I said, well, it's a salt that I blend and I keep on the side of my stove. You know, I've got Hashimoto's. I am really careful about what I eat. I'm on an anti-inflammatory diet. Uh, I just sort of started talking to people and we, it was around holiday. We did a holiday gifting to a bunch of editors. Instead of sending them, you know, a chocolate bar with our brand logo, we sent them my blend of salt with uh, avocado and some healthy chips and a lemon to make an avocado mash at their desk when they're stuck there during tough holiday hours. And I literally got, we got the craziest response of everybody saying, can we write about this? Are you manufacturing this? Can you sell this? It's amazing. So it was another one of those things. You know, we, we love to do the research ourselves and sort of launch products and see where they go from there. You know, we do, you know, the same thing sort of happened with our scent. Uh, I launched a scent a few months ago. I worked on it during COVID because everyone was always asking me, you know, when I get an elevator, like who smells like the cookie on vacation? It was like a coconut vanilla blend. And I would always say, that's me. And people were like, well, who is it? And I was always saying, well, it's a blend of five different things for me to get this scent. So it was just sort of one of those things, you know, I wanted to do a scent, so we did it and it was popular. The salt, the same thing. It sounds delish. I mean, it, I'm sensing a, a theme here. I don't want to be overly cheesy, but it's like the salt is a little extra. The scent is the little extra. Jewelry, everything's extra. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, is that yeah. like, is that where we're going here? But then there's the home line. I don't know if that that's just like little decor pieces, but talk to me. No, that was a major collab we did with them. That was so much fun. I, I mean, I literally designed, I think, almost 350 pieces of furniture and home oh, for wow. them. And we ended up launching, you know, it was furniture. I mean, their dishes, our swirl dish outsold the white dish for them. I think I mean, they're still going to always sell those dishes. Um, you know, some of those things are just, and it's an ongoing collab for now. Uh, it was given the success of the first one we ended up doing during COVID. We did a holiday one, literally during lockdown and shooting on set with masks. And then given the, given the populator of that one, we did a kitchen one based off of the growth of my kitchen account during COVID. They were a great partner. I loved working with them. And that's definitely not my last foray into home and lifestyle. That is definitely a direction of where we're taking this brand. 
Oh my gosh. Talk to me about fragrance. That's so cool. Do you plan to build on that in the beauty space? Beauty is booming. We know that. Yeah. Beauty is booming. Uh, you know, I never say never, you know, I, the, the, I was shocked. We saw our, our scent sold out in, I think two hours online, but then it launched on Net-A-Porter, one of our other wholesale partners, and they sold out in 30 minutes. Um, and what's cool about the scent is I try to also think about, okay, women like myself, I'm always on the go. I don't have time to stick a big spray bottle into my purse and I don't want it to spill in my bag. And it's also too heavy. So intentionally we launched it. It's a little roller ball and you just throw it in your bag in a glass, really beautiful chic glass ball, and you can take it anywhere. Um, I mean, it, delicious. Yeah. yeah. And so now that is, was so popular. We're talking about more things in home sense and other things like that. And we'll see what happens. You know, I love beauty. I love skincare. We'll see. Oh my gosh. Well, talk to me about the customer. Is it direct overlap? The person who's buying your hoops is buying your salts, is buying your fragrance, or what are you finding that maybe the most interesting uh, differences there? Well, you know, it's different avenues. What's so crazy is that there's people that that got to know me uh, during COVID that had no idea I was a jewelry designer. That all oh, my friends sent you your account because I had to make your cinnamon rolled bread, and I had no idea you were the Jennifer Fisher that also makes the jewelry. So it's really interesting. What's crazy is how much food resonates with so many people and the wide reach of food. Uh, what that's done for our brand. I mean, I can't even tell you what it's done, the avenues of people coming through the food account that then go in to buy, first of all, the salt, and then they'll buy hoops or they'll buy, you know, now they can buy the scent and then they'll go on to buy fine jewelry if not doing that first. So it's really interesting to watch all the data of avenues of where all these people come from through the different accounts. Yeah. And it's interesting that you just jumped, like you didn't do a, a fragrance collab or did you? Like you didn't maybe trial the market with any other brand like you're kind of doing with CB2. No, like I said, you know, it's sort of, it, CB2 came to us. It wasn't something that we went after. We met them. We just hit it off and it just was like, Hey, should we do this? Let's do this. This is great. Um, but the other products that we create for ourselves are definitely things that I see, uh, lacking in the market, which is exactly how my, my, my jewelry company started. It started after the birth of my son, Shane. I was given gifts to represent him. I'd had a very hard time having a baby. I'd gone through chemotherapy. We had tried surrogacy. Uh, it was unsuccessful. And so when I finally did have him, it was very important for, for me uh, to wear something to represent him that felt like myself. And I was being given gifts to represent him. I was a wardrobe stylist before I was a jewelry designer for about 10 years in Los Angeles. And I never, I just felt everything that was, was being given to me felt very generic and just kind of felt like one note or too small. So I made a very heavy dog tag and I wore it on a long gold chain and I wore it on set. And I, literally, that's how the brand started. I made one for Uma Thurman. She wore it on the cover of Glamour. I just started to snowball by me making them for all the guys on set. So it's just one of those things that it's, it goes from the jewelry to the salt to the scent. And even with CB2, with my collaborations, it's, it's me looking for things that I, because I am an avid shopper. I am a consumer. If I, you know, if I don't see something in the market that I feel that I can create, why wouldn't I create it? For sure. I mean, the power of the celeb, the influencer, has that, is that playing into your marketing now? You know, I think it always has to some degree. I think it's great for brand validation. I always say I, I prefer to see JLo at the grocery store or the farmer's market wearing her hoop earrings on than when she's being styled for the red carpet because then I know that she chose to wear them. So that as a brand is very powerful. You know, you see Hailey Bieber out and out on vacation wearing my earrings. She chose to wear those. So, you know, when you see celebrities making a choice that, you know, is not being styled by someone else making the decision for them, um, that's great in terms of brand value. Jennifer Fisher Kitchen has an Instagram of its own. So talk to me about, I guess, marketing that brand and maybe reaching the foodie. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Is that a unique marketing strategy? Honestly, it, it you know, we've just started. By the way, two years ago, we were not spending any money on digital marketing whatsoever. We were like grassrooting it. We were people are amazed to hear that we didn't do this before. Um, it was very recently that you started putting ad dollars behind my brand. Um, but the food account in itself, honestly, it grows so organically just from people recommending it via friends. The power of people believing in something that you're doing as being completely authentic and good for them and something that's helpful for them is is immeasurable. So I, you know, I get messages every day from women and men saying to me, you know, oh my God, my friend, I'm having this health issue. Uh, my friend recommended you to me. I've lost 20 pounds just by eating better, um, cutting out certain things from my diet, just to ha- having a healthier lifestyle. You know, I, it's not about pushing a diet or a food regimen on people. It's about just going to the grocery store and picking healthier things for yourself and for your family and making those taste delicious. My salts help. Oh my gosh. Amazing. (laughs) Must try. Well, let's talk about meeting demand. Like you said, everyone's on Zoom. Everyone may be wearing sweatpants, but we're going to look chic from the shoulders up. Darn it. Um, But tell me about meeting demand. Like what was supply chain? I'm sure you you faced those obstacles. I'm sure you (laughs) were, I don't know, in your warehouse packing things. Tell me about the the struggle. The the struggle is so real. Oh my God. I have the craziest story I can tell you. And I don't think I've, I've told this a couple of times, but not a lot. So I'm excited you just asked me that question. So Literally when COVID started, everything was shut down. All of our employees were working from home. We're very proud to say that we did not furlough one employee during COVID. We actually grew. Um, I actually credit my husband, Kevin, with building this sort of, it's sort of this like railroad of uh, operations behind the scenes. We were literally, we, we had all of our employees at their homes. We... And by the way, I was packing and fulfilling all of the orders because I was technically the only person that was really allowed to be in there because we do warehouse in New York City out of our offices. So thank God we could do that. And I was allowed to be there. Um, but it was literally that it was, there was no one on the streets. It, I would go in there in the morning with my workout clothes on. I put Justin Bieber on blasting. So I didn't feel like completely lonely in there. And I would pack orders all day. And then when I was done packing orders, I would drive to Brooklyn to pick up from my, my brass QC girls from one house. And one would give me the finished orders. One would give me raw orders. We would be dropping them at FedEx and UPS. And, and you know, Kevin and I would take turns during that, during those routes. We had someone in Hoboken, people uptown, our manufacturers. It was crazy, but it worked. That's spectacular. Oh my God. And then your team has been intact. Are they at home? Are they like, how have things changed, I guess, for your internal operations? Well, we outgrew our offices that we were in before. So everyone cannot come back to work, which is a, which is a great problem to have, but also not, you know, not ideal. So we do have people working from home still just because they can be remote. You know, it's the nature of their jobs, digital uh, inventory, things like that. People don't need to be there every day. People do take turns coming in. Also, uh, we are lucky that we now have our Soho store that can house some people's office space also. So we're really just trying to make it work until we, you know, hopefully in the next eight months, we will have our new beautiful office um, that we can have our big conference room and have, you know, room for everyone. Ideally, I want to have a kitchen in there so I can cook for everybody and do content out of there. So we're working, we're looking right now trying to find our new home that will house everyone. Yes. Well, I mean, what an example you said, and your energy is great. I'm sure that you were very instrumental in um, kind of keeping the connectivity and the morale up. Like, can you tell me about some of that uh, working across Zoom and how, yeah, I don't know, reassuring the team? It's really hard. You know, uh, it's it's so difficult that, you know, everybody's got, you know, and also with COVID, I think everybody... uh, 
had their own sort of internal, you know, mental, you know, trying to hold it together uh, situation. So, you know, we always just try to be positive and try to be like, you know, hey, we're a, we're a team. Let's all make this work together. Uh, we can't do it without everybody that works for us. You know, we're super grateful for everyone with the time that they spend. You know, also with COVID, what's been really interesting is, you know, people have to sort of regulate what are real office hours again. You know, people were sort of working 24 hours a day, these weird schedules because you're from home and you're sort of like willy nilly like, okay, well, it is 6 a.m., but I went to bed at, you know, it's just, so getting that back on track too, and me not wanting to instantly start, you know, slacking my employees at 6am or, you know, DM, you know, doing all that stuff that we were doing before, we have to kind of go back to what was before, um, with new rules. Yeah. Well, tell me, I mean, it's a whole different ball game, but like inflation and recession, recession, I don't know, doomsday tales out there, but, um, yeah. Do people still want jewelry now? Are they pulling back? Is it a different customer? Like what's the customer buying behavior now? You know, I think we're early into it to sort of see, we obviously hit it entirely yet, but I, you know, we're definitely seeing uh, a tick of people either wanting fine jewelry that they can invest in that they'll have forever, but also just not spending quite as much as they might have before, or maybe just they, they still want the chain and one charm, but they're like, I'll wait just to see how things go. You know, we get, we, but we do build a wish list for people to make sure that they, they can save their, all of their wish things that we can get for them later. You know, nine times out of 10, people come back and they end up buying it once they've seen it in the store. Um, we're actually having a hard time keeping our brass in stock. Uh, the demand for hoop earrings is is crazy. Um, we have been very lucky that the New York Times uh, coined me the queen of hoops, and that was super helpful. Um, but it's hard to keep up with the demand. You know, and the problem is now with supply chain issues because of COVID. So, you know, you've got to make sure you can get your tubing. You've got to make sure, you know, it's all of those things that we're starting to feel that pullback. I think it's not necessarily the market yet for us. It's more of those delays that we're having on inventory because People, you know, even with the spices, we're seeing it. You know, oh, we wow. were having a call the other day. There's certain spices that we can't get to blend our salts because of COVID and because of the supply chain issues, packaging, all of it. We're seeing all of that sort of shift now, and everyone's sort of trying to come back from that and regulate again. So that's really what we're seeing more of. Nice. Well, not nice. <laughs> Let's say we'll boo. Um, but <laughs> it's part of it. It's part of it. I, you know, owning your own business it's, every day is a new is a new struggle or something that's new that's positive. So you got to take it one day at a time. You were talking about like more cost conscious, price conscious. Um, has has discounting ever been a part of the? I don't know the play or do you? Is there maybe a shopping event once a year? How do you how do you tackle discounting? No, we, you know, we definitely have a thing is for us, it's not about discounting the product. It's about people. We know that we've built up the demand of people wanting to purchase at that certain time of year around Christmas, Mother's Day. Those are great times of year for us that we do offer uh, specific discounts on fine jewelry, which is not significant. And it's not like a markdown. It's more of like a, hey, guys, we're going to we want to get you guys in the stuff. Here's this for you guys. Take this off. Um, it's really something that's that's uh, intentional just to kind of help people get into the business. That it's not about just discounting to discount ever. Yes. I'm sure your repeat customer is oh so high, coming back to you often. What do you know about them in terms of We know loyalty? a lot about them. We know a lot about them and brand loyalty. Um, you know, we're very, very fortunate that we have an amazing customer team service built around us. It's That has been uh, something that's been very important to me since day one. I've got a team that works the phones and keeps track of the clients and where they are and what they want. And they know everything. And it's, 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 
you know, and I get DMs every day from people saying, oh my God, I am so grateful. Your customer service team is amazing. That's why I keep coming back. I love the jewelry, but I also love your customer service. You guys take care of things for us. You listen to us. Uh, I think brand loyalty really these days is really people want to feel taken care of. Hey, do you own the brand? <laughs> we didn't even talk about fundraising and, and what was, who, who's all involved in the ownership? Me, myself, and I. I own 100% of my company. We have no outside investors. Period. Are you considering it now as you're growing and maybe looking to own more store, uh, open more stores? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things where, like I said, it's time to step on the gas. It's time to invest in the brand a little bit more in different levels and different ways that we did before. And it's time to really grow this. So yes, we are we are considering that and we are in conversations. If anyone's listening. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. You definitely have great numbers to show. Um, yeah, what can you share about growth? Um, I guess maybe year over year or since 20, 2006? You know, we don't really talk about that so much because we are perfectly held, but uh, we are definitely, we are growing. You know, we had a really great growth during COVID. Uh, we're continuing to grow. Uh, it's exciting. I, I think that, that, like we said, the proof is in the retail stores for us showing that uh, people can come and touch and feel the jewelry. Yes. So your stores, you've got the jewelry. Have you got the, the salt in store? Or yes. Just, yes. Even, you've even, got the yes. Saks Fifth Avenue is even carrying our salt with our hoops. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. Like once you get into it and you understand it, it makes perfect sense. Some people are like, what? You're a jewelry designer that makes salt? But then they taste the salt and they're like, oh, I get it. And you're also in expansion mode. Like as you open stores, you consider that. Like what if we want to launch ready to wear? Like we need to leave room for that. We were just talking about vest. You might, it, it feels like a really good fit for you. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> there's a lot of things that are a really good fit. We just have to figure out what we're going to do next. You know, there's so many opportunities and I'm really grateful and I feel really lucky that we've, you know, it's hard to build a brand. You know, you can throw something up on Instagram and act like you're a jewelry designer, you know, one day if you put marketing dollars behind it. But to really build a brand that people trust, I think, is is hard to do and takes a lot of time. So I'm pretty proud of that. Um, and we're pretty meticulous in, about what our decisions are for our next steps. Uh we'll see. I don't, you know, I never say never to ready to wear, but I like, I like my Saint Laurent vest. <laughs> I don't want to, so I, don't need, I don't need to compete with that. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. That's interesting. Like, is your customer a luxury shopper? You just really called to mind a conversation I had with uh, Eric Torstenson, actually at Frame, and he was talking about kind of debating, like they had launched handbags and they had launched some shoes. And he was like, you know, our customer wears our jeans, but she wears a Chanel bag. Like she wants that upper ultra luxury bag. Like, is there like your customer maybe, I don't know. Our, our customer is the extra. Yeah, it is. Our, our customer is different than a, than a denim customer. Our customer is definitely a uh, higher. Uh, we are seeing, and I'm seeing, I'm just also, you know, I always say, you know, I, I want, a Celine bag. I don't need to make a Jennifer Fisher bag. Like there's, you know what I mean? But never say never. But I, I, I just don't, I see myself useful in so many other ways other than that. Yeah. That makes great sense. Tell me about goals for your year. Um, anything specific? Is there a number of stores you're talking about? Maybe, um, lean further into a certain category. 
You know, we, the opportunities that are coming to us right now are great, uh, in many different categories. I, I will say that there might be something, um, of a higher category of jewelry that might be coming. We'll see. There might be something in the food world, uh, there, or in lifestyle. Uh, we, you know, I kind of want to, I like keeping it mixed and I like keeping it, uh, I kind of like keeping people not like, oh, she's going to go into that, obviously. You know, yeah. I like to do what I want to do and what feels right. And if it doesn't feel right, I'm not going to do it for the brand. And I'm not going to do it for the money. No way. Yes. Has your e- uh, e-commerce, I ke- I'm like, I think I'm done. And I have another question I did, forgot to ask. But your e-commerce site, for instance, like has, did that evolve to, I'm like during the pandemic, maybe it's always been this way where you've had may- maybe like a virtual try-on to show the, the size of the hoop on your ear or things like that. But um, yeah, what updates have been made to make it really shoppable and maybe as much IRL as can be? You know, we, we talked about doing 3D and, and try-ons and we did have a, at one point we did have a tool on there uh, to build your own charm necklace, but we were really finding that it wasn't converting as much as we wanted it to. People were using it as a tool to play with, but it wasn't really working in terms of conversion. So, which I think a lot of those things do, it's sort of pl- fun to play around with, but are they really purchasing off of that? What we're finding more success with is uh, through our team doing virtual appointments with our clients. So we do one-on-one virtual appointments. You can schedule those appointments online. So you can basically be in the store with one of our associates, you know, whenever, whenever you want and just book your appointment. And they do, you know, they also do live. Uh, they do, we do DMs back and forth. They send customized charms, build your ear. That kind of thing is where we're seeing more conversion as a brand. Really, it's that stuff where people feel special. It sort of goes back to my customer service point that, you know, people want to feel taken care of and they want to list, they want to feel like you're listening to them. So if you're giving them what they want, they're going to convert. Yes. I mean, it says a lot about a brand that you were able to launch a fragrance again without being able to touch and feel and smell. No one could smell it and they bought it. Isn't that wild? It's wild. (laughs) Did you describe it like you described it to me? Because it makes me want it where you're like, what did you say? Coconut meets well, we say it's, it's, it smells like a cook. It smells like a cooking on vacation. But I always say you sort of it smells like summer year round. So I so I was always one of the ones that would get a headache from a commercial uh, perfume. Normally, I so I that's why I started wearing more natural scents uh, and co- combining uh, more natural things together to kind of create my own, you know, coconut vanilla. And that's really what it is. And I think I, I think also it goes to the point of like I I spoke about it and I talked about it so much on Instagram before launching it, really trying to tell people what it is and what it smells like that they were able to buy it online and they were comfortable doing that. I get a headache from a fragrance. Yours sounds good too. I think it's between us. I was the J'adore Dior girl at the at the Macy's counter. Were you? <laughs> you probably had a headache all. All 24 hours a day. Yours sounds heavenly. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, Jennifer Fisher, this was fantastic. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.